0: Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the show that reveals how the marketing names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see in the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin, a journalist with over two decades of experience. I started covering crypto five years ago and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full-time. Unchained and Unconfirmed are now published as videos. If you're not yet subscribed to the Unchained YouTube channel, head to youtube.com slash C slash Unchained podcast and subscribe today. With Sun Exchange, it's easy to put your money to work doing good. Earn Bitcoin for 20 years while offsetting your carbon footprint and delivering affordable, reliable solar energy to the world. Get started today at sunexchange.com. Crypto.com, the crypto super app that lets you buy, earn, and spend crypto. Earn up to 8.5% per year on your Bitcoin. Download the Crypto.com app now. Today's guest is Sam Bankman fried founder and CEO of FTX. Welcome, Sam. Hey, thanks for having me. This has been a crazy week in stock trading, particularly for the video game retailer GameStop, which yep. uh, you know has been a mainstay of suburban shopping malls, not traditionally thought of at the moment as like a hot stock. So yep. what happened?
1: Yeah, no, totally. I mean, this has been a completely wild week. And you know, and what happened was basically a sort of string of events that played out maybe exactly as you would have expected if you're sort of, you know, thought about it very well, but certainly not as anyone did expect going in, or at least not as most people did, which is that I, you know, some hedge funds got pretty short GameStop uh, because it was, you know, basically thought overvalued relative to, you know, sort of like uh, earnings or, you know, dividend stream or fundamentals. Um, a group of of day traders on Wall Street Bets uh, was not happy with that, and decided instead to get very long uh, GameStop. And yeah, with and,
0: Wall Street Bets being a subreddit, that's right. And they they describe themselves as what, like 4chan with a Bloomberg terminal.
1: <laughs> that that's basically right. This is very much think, sort of, you know the, the target audience of Bloom, of uh, of Robinhood, and so you know, basically there is, I mean, I don't know if like a a tug of war is quite right, but I think it's like about right. Uh, As for how to think of it, which is that over the course of the week, I mean, you know, traders on Wall Street get, best just bought more and more GameStop. And I mean, it probably like a billion dollars of it. Um, And at the same time, uh, the bearish hedge funds sold more and more GameStop and got shorter and shorter. And I mean the, the size of the shorts kept getting bigger and the volume kept going up and it, you know eventually after about a week of that um it just sort of boiled over and you know the resolution as it turns out was that uh there is more buyers than sellers um you know Wall Street bets was buying more than the short sellers could short sell and eventually uh stock price went from you know 20 to 40 to 60 to 80 to 100 and, you know, somewhere along the way, um, a lot of the hedge funds that were short started getting liquidated, basically, and they started getting margin called um, a few of them, you know, very prominently. So um, I think like Melvin was, was maybe the biggest um, and Melvin capital. Yep. And, and you know, all of a sudden now you've got Wall Street bets buying, you've got hedge funds that are buying because they, you know, are now, uh, you know, basically buying back their shorts forcibly. And, uh, and so then the price goes to 100 and 200 and I touched 500, I think at the peak, uh, right around the open today, um, which is, you know, an, an absolutely insane rise. I mean, it's, you know, up more than 10 X, um, in, in the last week and, and not, not cause of fundamentals news because of, you know, the sort of tug of war that happened and, 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 and you know, who ended up ultimately winning it. And so anyways, uh. Pretty crazy, but that's what happened. And, uh, you know, the result of this was uh, a lot of hedge funds lost a lot of money.
0: Yeah. So, um, just, you know, some little facts to shore up this tale. Vox reported that there was one Wall Street Bets subredditor who claimed he or she had turned $50,000 into $11 million. And then, meanwhile, for this multi-billion dollar hedge fund, Melvin Capital, they had to be bailed out with $3 billion from Citadel on 0.72 um, because they had such massive losses. And um, also, it's just really interesting to see how the establishment um, financial world is reacting to this because NASDAQ CEO, Adina Friedman, said on CNBC that if something like this happened in a stock trading on NASDAQ, she would like halt trading in that particular stock. Um, So it was kind of interesting also because on CNBC, the billionaire tech investor Shamath Palahapatia said that basically the only difference between what Wall Street Bets did versus hedge funds is that they did it transparently in a forum rather than at a quiet dinner in the Hamptons. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, quote, what this proves is this retail investor phenomenon is here to stay. There are 2.7 million people inside Wall Street Bets. I think they are as important as any hedge or collection of hedge funds. And then like referring to what has traditionally been called the Wall Street edge, he said, quote, that edge is gone. Now, all of a sudden, retail can be on the same footing and they don't have to be the bag holder to Wall Street. So do you agree with that assessment that this is just sort of like upending kind of the traditional way finance works?
1: I think I agree with some pieces of it. And in particular, I definitely agree that this is a really new and powerful phenomenon that doesn't look like it's going away anytime soon. And that really has been brewing for a long time. And I think, you know, you can start seeing this with Tesla, where, I mean, a a sort of similar phenomenon played out except over two years instead of two days. And, uh, you know, Tesla stock gets up many, many, many hundreds of percents in the last few years on the back of enormous amounts of buying from, uh, among others, a lot of retail traders and a lot of sort of outsiders from the traditional financial world a lot of short sellers from the traditional value investors. And eventually, again, one of those sites just won that tug of war. The short sellers had to buy back and it went up even more. And, you know, you see this in crypto a lot. And and this is uh, sort of interesting. This is the most crypto-like behavior I've ever seen from stock markets.
0: Yeah. So can you actually elaborate on that? Like, what are the ways in which this is similar to crypto?
1: So, you know, one way that you can think about a stock, if you want, Right, is you take Apple and you're like, what is this Apple stock worth? Well, um, it builds products and it gets revenue from those products and it has expenses. You know, you sort of calculate earnings from that, and then those will eventually turn into dividends. And you use some, you know, time discounting rate and or inflation rate or something like that. And you're like, all right, you know, what are 20 years worth of earnings going to be? And you're like, yeah, 1.5 trillion dollars is our estimate of you know that of the dividends over the next 20 years. And so that's what the stock's worth, that's sort of like, and obviously I'm sort of like oversimplifying it, but at its core, that's sort of one way that you can think about pricing a stock. And if that's the way you're thinking about it, right? If Apple stops trading at a hundred billion dollars, you just buy it all. You're like buying it and getting, you know, 15 times the dividend stream is great. And if it's trading at 20 trillion dollars, you short sell it because it's trading at way too high of a price, like a sort of price that makes no economic sense. And it's, it's probably a bubble and and gonna fall back down. And there's sort of a group of firms that think in, in a you know, way that has a lot to do with that. And obviously there's more nuances to what it, they're doing, but that's sort of the core approach. You know, Another way that you can think of it is it's a ticker, it trades, there are buyers and sellers, and it goes up if there are more buyers and it goes down if there are more sellers. And say what you will about fundamentals or rivet, dividends or revenue or whatever, those are just words. If there's a lot of buyers, it goes up. And if there are a lot of sellers, it goes down. And and I mean both of those are important effects for markets um but you look at crypto markets right and for most tokens there's there's not dividends or, or revenue. It's not like bitcoin is a yield bearing token it's 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 a different sort of thing um and it's it's much more akin to the order flow based thing where the use case of bitcoin is people wanting it, and you know the failure case is no one wants it, and so it goes up if people buy it and down if people sell it and and, and so that's very much you know the order flow base it, A a version of it. And that's what we've seen some stocks start to turn into more of a representation of.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What it reminds me of is um, how, you know, people do like to look at that network value to transaction value ratio, but, you know, there is like a band within which um, the price tends to go.
1: That's right. And it's also asymmetric. And I think this is a really interesting part of it. If you look at Apple, right? So I told this story about if it if it you know went down to 100 billion market cap on no news, I think buying it's just great, right? You're just buying this valuable company and you just get its dividends and you make money, right? The other side doesn't work so well necessarily, right? If it goes to 20 trillion dollars and you short it, you're like, okay, this is only ever going to make two trillion dollars. <laughs> like there's no reason for to trade at 20 trillion dollars. Well, it's not like you can just sit there short forever, owing dividends. That's not going to help you, right? It's If you're shorting it, you're sort of hoping that the market corrects to what you think fair value is. Um, And so while there's this sort of arbitrage on the buy side, where if you buy something below its economic underlying value, it's just good, if you sell it above that, I don't know, maybe there's additional value because people like buying it, owning it, and maybe that's not going to go away anytime soon.
0: Yeah. Yeah. When you short, you know, your losses are like infinite because if it just keeps going up and up but what you can gain is like limited so
1: and that's not to say you should never short something but it's not you know you can't sort of have this rock solid proof that shorting something is ever good
0: yeah exactly all right so in a moment we're going to talk a little bit more about how this um, relates to crypto but first a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible Crypto.com, the crypto super app that lets you buy, earn, and spend crypto all in one place. Earn up to 8.5% per year on your BTC. Download the Crypto.com app now to see the interest rates you could be earning on BTC and more than 20 other coins. Once in the app, you can apply for the Crypto.com metal card, which pays you up to 8% cash back instantly. Reserve yours now in the Crypto.com app. Back to my conversation with Sam Bankman-Fried. So another factor in this is that the hedge funds had actually shorted 136% of GameStop shares, which meant that they needed to buy back more of the stock than existed to cover their losses. Um, And so that just kind of further drove up the price. How would a financial system that's built on blockchain technology affect the ability for investors to do that?
1: It's a really good question. And, you know, the answer is sort of like it depends on how it's built. And in particular, um, you know, the. The 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 sort of thing that plays the role of um, Goldman Sachs's borrow lending desk in crypto is something like uh, you know Compound or Aave um, or you know one of the the other sort of borrow lending type protocols where you know you can see a similar effect of people want to get leveraged long or leveraged short so if you want to get long you you buy it and then you can lend it out and other people can borrow it and short sell it and you can actually get a similar thing where it just cycles through a lot and you get this mountain of shorts building up and, and, you know, sort of like mountain of longs building up. So depending, but it depends on the parameters of the protocol and, you know, what it allows, what, what sort of leverage it allows, what its liquidation parameters are, how much collateral people have, you know, you can build the same structures in DeFi and people will, um, but there's this question at the end of the day of what actually happens in practice. And one interesting thing is, you know, Let's let's sort of ignore short selling without a borrow, which is generally only a thing you can do very temporarily in in, in financial markets. In order for for the world to be able to get very short, they need to be borrowing, right? Somehow they need to actually be finding a physical person with a bunch of GameStop shares that they can go short sell, right? That they can borrow Mm -hmm. and short sell and then have a debt of them. And where are they getting it from? Like whose shares are they selling exactly? The answer probably is Wall Street bets. Probably, and I don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but if I had to guess to tie this story up, something like you know, a lot of traders are buying GameStop. They're buying it with one of these various retail platforms, you know, whether it's Robinhood or ETrade or something like that. They get credited within their account. Um, the platform, as one way make money, um, engages with some borrow lending desk, loans out the shares mm-hmm. that they have on their platform, and then the hedge funds on the other side of the trade borrow those and short sell them. And so it's a very bespoke, mysterious process in in traditional finance. Where these shares come from, it's often quite surprising. In crypto, it's much more transparent. And there's just a question the people getting long, what would they do? Would they, in fact, take whatever they're getting long and put it in a borrow lending protocol to get interest? And if they do, then someone could borrow them to short sell. If they don't, then all of a sudden there's a lot less available supply for people to borrow and short.
0: Mm, Okay. So what you're saying is like, just depending on how these DeFi protocols are built, like that would influence whether
1: or not this could, yeah. It would influence a lot. And depending on what the buyers do, if the buyers chose to lend out their tokens, or if they chose just to put it in their MetaMask account. And, you know, that would also have a big impact on whether I, how how big of short uh, positions people could put on.
0: Yeah. I'm just trying to think about how this would interplay with something like the yield farming craze where people were being incentivized right. to do that.
1: It's super interesting. And, you know, probably a lot of people will lend them out, right? Because they're getting Especially paid. Especially if do they're being
0: incentivized.
1: Yeah. Right. Exactly. It's like, we'll pay you, you know. And and, and trust me, I, I think that, like, they could get a lot for this. Like, at the peak, how much do you think people were willing to pay to short game stock? I bet a lot of people were paying a percent a day. Or or something, you know, I, I don't know if it quite got that high, but very high. Wait, you're talking so, about the hedge funds. Yeah, that's right. What right. they're paying. Now, I don't know if they actually work. because again, this market is really weird. And in fact, it's not like an open order book. It's like, they call up Goldman's like, yo, what's the borrow rate? And some guy's like, eh, five bips. And that that's like how it's determined. You know, there's no, and like, what's it, lo- who's loaning out? Like people on Robinhood who aren't getting paid any interest. And aren't even aware of it. So it's like a, mm-hmm. a sort of arbitrary market. In DeFi, it's a lot more transparent. And there's a sort of negotiation between buyers and, and, and borrowers about, you know, how much interest do they have to be paid in order to loan out their shares?
0: Right, right. So, So there's like kind of more knowledge for the two people in the negotiation, and it's more direct. So that yeah. maybe would potentially lead, hopefully would lead to more rational
1: outcomes. <laughs> Yeah, I think I, I think it might, and at the very least it would probably lead in interest being paid to the people poor long, you know, instead of right. it just being entirely soaked up by the middlemen.
0: Right, right. Which is also, um in my mind at least to benefit a nice democratization of finance, which yep. is supposedly the goal of crypto, although I don't know if it's been born out yet. It's,
1: but, I mean it maybe <laughs> it's making some progress in some places. It's not I wouldn't say it's drilling straight towards that goal. It's it's taking some detours. Yes. On, you know, food token lane and, and you know,
0: <laughs> vegetable farming lane. Yep. Um. So FTX actually then quickly moved to list a tokenized version of GME. Yep. Yeah. What are you seeing with that? And uh, tell
1: me a little bit about, you know, what led you to do that? Yeah. I mean, it's in the end, you know, when we think about what products to offer on FTX, we want to offer what people want to trade. That mm-hmm. is like the most fundamental answer to what we want to offer. We mm-hmm. want want our customer wants. And um, you know, we could divide, you know, design our favorite product in the world, super cool in a lot of ways. No one wants to use it, it's just taking up space on the site. And there could be a product we think is stupid and like we don't get why anyone cares about this. But if, if it's what everyone cares about, then I mean, that's like to where we say no. And so when we sort of woke up today, I mean, you can probably guess what social media feeds were saying. You can probably guess what messages we were getting. You know, no one was saying like, "Hey guys, like, um, it, it, look, here's some like 2018 all coins that you haven't listed. Could you kind of round that out a bit?" <laughs> and there are days where people ask for that, right? Because there are days when that's what's happening. Not today. Today, there's everyone was asking for GameStop, and mm. and then once we listed, everyone was asking for, uh, you know, for, for 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 BlackBerry. Everyone was asking, uh, you know, for AMC, for Nokia, and um, and and so you know, we were really just thinking like. You know, what is the product that would make people most excited to use our platform? And can we offer that in a reasonable way? And as it turns out, we can, um, you know, because this partnership with uh, DAG and TM Equity, we can offer stocks to our users, super exciting. And and so we could, you know, just go ahead and, and and launch them. And, you know, we tend to be, we're not a huge organization in terms of people. We're way, way, way smaller than, many other exchanges, uh, but we're way leaner and quicker moving. And so, you know, it's a lot harder for us to take on things we don't think are important and just kind of like grind out like mediocrely designed pieces to the site. We're very, you know, rate limited on that. But if there's a few big things that we think are super valuable to get out today, you know, we can just like get on a Zoom call and like quickly repurpose for in like five minutes to churn something out.
0: Yeah and then so how does that work on the back end you you mentioned this partnership so how yep. how does that enable this to
1: Yeah so you know there's sort of two pieces to to this one is the the customer facing piece and the other is like the actual stocks the customer facing piece one of the cool things is they're actually not really that different like it's it's just another you know ticker trading on a market on FTX like you know what's the difference between uh AMC March futures and LINK March futures from the technology, you know, technological point of view, they're the same thing, right? It's a market order book, matching engine, risk engine, you know, uh, GUI, API. And that's one of the super powerful things about exchanges. And something that we sort of realized somewhat early on is that almost every part of FTX is, can be repurposed to, to trade almost any product. And it's just tech wise, super simple. Um, And so, you know, whether that's, Crypto stock, fiat currencies, prediction markets, uh, or anything else. Um, and so then there's the back end, which is all right. Sure, we 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 labeled it, you know, GME. What what's that? Why does that have anything to do with GameStop? Like, it can't just be three letters that 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 you know sort of evoke, you know, evoke memories <laughs> of a of a stock. Um, and and that's that's the tricky part, obviously, with this. Um, and and so what what we did is, um, you know, over the summer a partnership with um, a regulated German financial institution which basically has the licensing to offer uh, among other things uh, equities to uh, to global customers and so they have all of the licensing necessary to offer the equities they don't have the venue but they, they have the, the licensing and they have you know the equities accounts and in fact they have, they have the licensing to offer tokenized equities and we have the exchange. And so basically, you know, they they custody the actual equities, and you know potentially they and and us um, face customers in these trades, and then you know tokens are issued which basically represent you know those those equities, and then it's those tokens that you can trade on on FTX. Um, and what ultimately ties them is that you can create and redeem them. So you can, you know, go uh, you know create your account with with uh DAG and NCM equity, and then you know go buy you know, tokenize Apple on FTX and then transfer that to, to CM Equity and then actually get it credited as literal Apple stock mm-hmm. in your brokerage account and vice versa. And so it's a little bit clunky of a process right now, but you can do it. Um, you can sort of actually you know, convert between the the, the tokens on FTX and, and, and equities in your brokerage account.
0: Oh, interesting. And then also with your index for the Wall Street Bets favorites. Yep. So then if you were to cash that in, you would get individual shares of each of the companies in the so index.
1: If it were a spot product, that's how it would work. As okay. it turns out, sort of, sort of for simplicity's sake, instead it's a cash settled future, um, um, which settles to a weighted index of the FTX markets on those markets. So it settles to you know the average of the Nokia market and the you know AMC market and the GameStop market and things like that. Um, but you can still basically do that full trade eventually, where you buy the future. You hedge it at expiration by buying the basket on FTX, and that sort of guarantees that you actually get the price you paid for the future, and then you go take those and you redeem them. Uh And so it is in the same way that Bitcoin futures ultimately can sort of be turned into a Bitcoin because they expire to the value of a Bitcoin. um, You could ultimately kind of do that arbitrage to convert these futures into the actual underlying equities.
0: Oh, interesting. All right. Yeah. Well, just one other development that I wanted to note here was that Robinhood now is restricting restricting trading and things like GME yep. and AMC.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, so what do you what do you think that move says?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm obviously super interested in what's going on behind the scenes and what they're being told. And I mean, maybe they're just things we're not seeing, right? But it's, it's a like weird you, you
0: mean some kind of like regulatory, regulatory something? Regulatory.
1: Exactly. I, I'm sure the SEC is talking to them. And I don't know what, what's happening in those conversations. But it's a weird move and it's particularly, so halting trading is the thing that happens in stocks. And, you know, in some cases can be reasonable, right? Some stock is going through completely wacky price movement. And, you know, I think a reasonable approach you could take is look, people should be able to trade what they want, but sometimes bots have bad parameters and just go haywire and get in these feedback loops. And it's just like, turn it off and on again. And like, give a, you know, give a hard reset to the market for five minutes, um, just to break any sort of like, unnatural feedback right. that like no one wanted. And then if people really do just want to keep buying, they can just keep buying, right? Right, that's but actually, like, well, you like, know,
0: the way I phrased it was wrong because it's yeah. not that they restricted trading, it's that they stopped, they prohibit people now from purchasing, but you can still sell. Right. So it's and different. That thing.
1: Right, that's very weird. It's very different than than what you normally see, right? <laughs> and, and yeah, the five minute circuit breaker is totally defensible. This like only go one direction trading is not something that I've encountered really before. And it's, and, and, and when you see it, it's always because of like weird, like, like like okay, you hit a price band, right? It's up so much on the day, they can't go up anymore for 15 minutes. Okay, those rules have their issues in a lot of cases, but at least after 15 minutes it gets lifted and then you can do whatever you want again. And it's like an automated thing. This was not that at all. This was it, clearly like a human judgment call, unrelated to like specific price points or, or, or amount movements. It's like, all right, no more buying. Yeah, and,
0: it feels like somebody putting their thumb on the scale.
1: Yeah, it, it does. And it's, I mean, it's weird. Like, this is not something, I mean, I, you know, I was on Wall Street for, for three and a half years and, you know, traded a bunch of equities. And I, I, I don't think I've ever seen this before. I can't remember having seen it, um, at least not in the United States. And I, a lot of people took issue to it. And I kind of see why they did. I mean, it's its like, right, like it, it, it's, it's sort of like biasing markets in a particular direction. It's like a, a, a sort of like not normally what regulators or exchanges are meant to do. And it's there, it's not clear there's like a principled reason for it. And I sort of think I can guess why they wanted to do it. But like, it's, I mean, it's not something you usually see people doing because they like kind of think it's what they should do or something. It's not usually how markets work, you know? And it's, you know, I will note. So one thing I will note is that like, they didn't do the really bad thing. Like the really, really bad thing that you could imagine them having done in a, in a different directional thing is like, some people have shares of it and like restricting selling so they can't sell their shares. And that's terrifying, right? So you've mm-hmm. like invested in something and then there's like banned from selling it out. And I mean, that, that that that's like a super serious investor. This was just stopping people from opening up positions.
0: I still yeah. don't
1: want to defend it. You know, it's 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 not the worst thing they could have done, but it's not, it, it doesn't feel great at, yeah. at all. Yeah,
0: no, because I, I just noticed just from today alone, the price of GameStop, Uh, had an open of 265, it hit that high you mentioned of, it was actually 482, at least according to one of my apps. And then it plunged to a low of 112 and it's currently at about 230 something. But, um, and by the way, we're recording at like noon-ish or 1 p.m. for listeners on Thursday and 1 p.m. Eastern. But I just, I'm a little bit like, wait, is is that part of why it, you know what I mean? It had that like crazy crash because think about it from 42 down to 112, like- you know, is it only because people could only sell and there were like, weren't people on the other side that could buy? And I, d- I don't know, you know, and I don't know how big of an influence right. Robin Hood would be. But anyway, I mean, it just...
1: Yeah, I think the straightforward answer to that is, yeah, very well may have been. That'd be a pretty straightforward answer. And it would, I that'd be my next guess is that that is what was going on. I mean, it went down because people weren't allowed to buy, but they were allowed to sell. Yeah. And, so people
0: got screwed, yeah, which I feel is, you know...
1: It's, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not a good look on, on the part of, of, of Robin Hood or, or, or the Raiders or whoever it was who sort of like ultimately made this call. And um, and it's not a normal one. And, and it's also not something where like they kind of pre-announced ahead of time, like this is how this works. Like, you know, if something goes up too much, <laughs> we're gonna stop buying. If they'd announced that at least, you know, at least they're sort of like, everyone understood the-
0: Yeah, informed risk, yeah.
1: Right, this, this is, it's not even just, it's not even what you would like guess might happen here.
0: Yeah. Okay, so last bit, Um, I, I just want to know, how do you think this is yeah. going to end? <laughs> like, do you think the hedge funds or the retail investors will ultimately be the winners?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question. And, and one thing that I do want to say is that, like, Wall Street is not a singular entity. There's a right. lot of different types of firms there. And I mean, this is sort of a, you know, classic thing where like, you know, you look at an industry from the outside and you sort of average it together and you're like, that's what it's like, right? And then you go in there And you talk to someone in there and they give this rant about someone else in the industry. And you're like, you you two are the same in my mind. Like, I was putting you in the same group, but apparently you cannot stand this other guy and think they're scum of the earth. And now I'm trying to figure out, like, what's going on. And the answer is like, I mean, you know, everyone has their own frame of of reference. And, you know, ultimately, what do I think here? It's it's going to have really different effects on different players in Wall Street. You know, we've been talking about a particular type of financial entity there. Uh, or a few particular ones. One of which is this value investing hedge fund that sort of looks at revenue streams, prices, equities off of them, and then gets long or short based on that. Um, And this is not a great trend for that type of hedge fund. Like this is further dislodging stocks from their model of them and making it more based on supply and demand. So that's one, one side that certainly is not looking so good right now. It's not looking good necessarily for some intermediaries Robin Hood being an obvious example I mean this could have been their best day ever and there's actually a little bit of a pattern right now like the last four days that could have been their best day ever how did they end they like all ended quite poorly for Robinhood which is pretty weird I, I'm like actually kind of surprised how but so like remember that like the, the busiest day ever on the retail buying craze of like Hertz and stuff back in spring. Yeah. And Robin just crapped out, and like was off for the day. And as soon as crypto goes gets very busy, they run out of crypto for the day and turn it off. And I mean, today should have been their best day ever in history. Like, they should have made like fifty million dollars today of revenue. And I mean, they certainly is not a great ending for them. Um, and, and I think it's like starting to create this pattern. And I don't really know exactly what the sort of like root cause that leads to all of those are but it it's this is been a great year for Robinhood, but it's not been a great follow through on the biggest moments and 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 i keep saying Robinhood is emblematic but you know i think similar things are happening with a lot of products in the space this is i think bears a lot of resemblance to something we saw in like late 2018 with crypto derivatives exchanges where they were making a crap ton of money still are more than half of all volume was flowing through two exchanges. Uh, in fact, more than half of all crypto volume was flowing through two, the derivatives components of two exchanges, and they were completely incapable of handling it. I mean, one of them was, would just crash whenever volume got large, which is exactly when they're most important and when they could be doing the best and making the most money. And the other uh, couldn't handle big market moves. Uh, they lost $300 million dollars to improperly liquidating accounts I- I- in a single year, or or rather they didn't lose, they uh, imposed that loss upon their customers. And it, th- those are like pretty big fuck ups. And and it's sort of like, you know, it was late 2018, we were sort of staring at this and feeling like, geez, these are like probably the two most central entities to crypto. And wait, processing- which, two, which two are you so, talking about? Yeah, so it's BitMEX and OKEX at the time. Oh, okay. And you know, these are processing more than half of all volume in the entire industry. And they're really struggling with it. And why is that? Is it endemic to the task? And it is a tricky task, but I think that wasn't all of it. And obviously, eventually, you're just like, fuck it. Like, I, I think we can do this. Like, I think we can do it better. And that that's the reason FTX exists. It was, huh. you know, the the sort of day after the biggest fiasco of 2018 with derivatives exchanges, which was mm-hmm. the, the the worst settlement of a future I've ever heard of uh, on uh, Bitcoin Cash futures. And it was, I mean, it's hilariously bad. It's a, on one hour notice, expired a future two days before it was scheduled to expire. And they expired it to the futures price instead of the index price. And the index was the wrong index. And it was a limit up price. There's like (laughs) six reasons why it was. (laughs) And anyway, so I just moved to Hong Kong. And that happened. And I sort of sitting there. And I mean, we've been playing around with this idea in our heads for a little while, but that that was actually the final straw. called up. Uh, Gary and flew him out. And, and that that that's when we started making FTX. And then, so it's sort of like, I don't know, I think there's some of that going on here where this is legitimately putting a ton of stress on these businesses, but also yeah. like, it's also, I don't know, they, I kind of think they could be handling it better than they are. And I, yeah. I think that's sort of like, you know, there is, I think there's an opening there.
0: Yeah, I, I feel like this is, I mean, this has just happened time and time again in crypto where Things blow up and then they, um, bump up against the scaling limits of whatever it is that they're using, yeah. whether it's Ethereum in the ICO craze or the crypto kitty craze or, um, the actual exchanges themselves. You know, Coinbase even recently has been yep. having a lot of outages and. All right. Okay. Well, it's super interesting what you just said about the history of FEX or the inspiration for it. Um, All right. Well, I think we're going to have to see where this goes. Um, And by the way, crypto people, I also want to let you know that Dogecoin is somehow involved in
1: this. this Well, yeah, you can't buy. (laughs) And they turn off buying on Dogecoin. That can't have been the SEC, right? (laughs) I don't know.
0: Anyway. All right. Well, you know, we're well past time, but thank you so much for coming on. and confirming this was super fun.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me.
0: Don't forget, next up is the weekly news recap. Stick around for This Week in Crypto after this short break. Join thousands of people from around the world who are earning Bitcoin while creating a more sustainable energy future with sun Exchange. On the SunExchange platform, you can easily buy solar cells that power schools, businesses, and other organizations in sunny emerging markets, and you'll earn Bitcoin for 20 years from the clean energy you generate. Visit SunExchange.com to see their current solar project crowd sales Including opportunities to solar power an affordable housing complex in South Africa and a sustainable commercial farm in Zimbabwe. Get started today at Sunexchange.com. That's S-U-N-E-X-C-H-A-N-G-E.com. Thanks for tuning in to this week's news recap. First headline. As revealed in mid-December, Coinbase will go public later this year. On Thursday, the crypto exchange stated it intended to do so via a direct listing, rather than an IPO. In a direct listing, instead of new shares being created and sold to the public, only existing outstanding shares will be sold. This is not only a less expensive process, but also enables Coinbase to avoid certain restrictions that must be followed with an IPO, such as lockup periods that keep insiders from selling their shares. Next headline. More institutional investors pile into Bitcoin. Bill Miller of Miller Value Partners and the former chairman of Leg Mason wrote for Miller Value Partners Q4 2020 letter that it had purchased shares of MicroStrategy's 0.75% convertible bond. After a detailed analysis of why it believes in Bitcoin's promise, as well as a rebuttal of common criticisms of the cryptocurrency, he writes that the MicroStrategy bond offered, quote, "...very little downside and an almost free call option on Bitcoin." Meanwhile, Coindesk reports that the Harvard, Yale, Brown, and University of Michigan endowments have been buying Bitcoin directly on Coinbase and other exchanges, a fact that was alluded to in Coinbase Institutional's 2020 year in review. Because of the institutional demand for Bitcoin exposure, Pantera Capital, one of the oldest funds in the space, is launching a new fund in the next few months for institutional Bitcoin investors, the block reports. Next headline. Ethereum 2020 year in review, transferring more value than Bitcoin. Josh Stark of the Ethereum Foundation and Evan Van Ness of the Week in Ethereum newsletter published a 2020 year in review for the second largest blockchain by market cap. The first takeaway was that 2020 was the year, was the first year in which Ethereum transferred the most value. $1.6 trillion worth of assets, 60% more than Bitcoin's $1 trillion worth of assets. Transaction fees on Ethereum, at more than $600 million, were also almost double that of Bitcoins. Another trend cited was the growing creator economy on Ethereum, with crypto art volume totaling $23 million, which sounds small but makes it about 5% of the $500 million paid out by Patreon to its creators in 2019. The report also noted the rise in decentralized exchanges, with volumes averaging between $17 billion and $26 billion in the fall. Coinbase's institutional 2020 year-in-review report also saw an increased number of institutional clients investing in Ether, which will also get a boost next month when CME launches Ether futures contracts. CoinDesk quotes Dennis Vinokurov, head of research at digital asset prime broker Bequant, who says that many see ETH as a way to get indirect exposure to DeFi protocols. He says, quote, not everyone is comfortable with the risks that are still associated with DeFi. But the hypergrowth of these projects boosts activity on the Ethereum network and thus supports capital appreciation. Meanwhile, the Ethereum Foundation and Reddit announced a partnership to, quote, help accelerate the progress being made on scaling and develop the technology needed to launch large-scale applications like community points on Ethereum. Next headline. Grayscale files for several new trusts, including some in DeFi. On Wednesday, Grayscale Investments, the largest digital asset manager, filed for five new trusts for crypto assets, Ave, Cosmos, Polkadot, Monero, and Cardano. Over the weekend, Coindesk reported that Grayscale had also registered trusts for Chainlink, Decentraland, Livepeer, Tezos, and Filecoin. It's perhaps not surprising that a few of these are DeFi-related. The Block reports that OTC desks are seeing an uptick in interest in DeFi. Genesis is seeing trades in DeFi coins such as Uni, CRV, and Sushi. Richard Rosenblum, the founder of GSR Trading, said, quote, Now that Bitcoin has had time to calm down, people are looking for the next thing to invest in. Similarly, volumes on DEXs hit $45 billion in January, more than double compared to December. Next headline, Paradigm's Guide to Optimistic Rollups. Paradigm published an in-depth explainer on how optimistic rollups work, it starts with the problem of the system wanting to scale without losing its properties of low cost and low trust, both of which help keep the system decentralized. It explains that the route optimistic rollups take in scaling is to limit on-chain transactions and to use fraud proofs to cancel invalid, quote, state transitions or changes to the state of the blockchain. Since fraud proofs are on-chain, It also has a method to decentivize fraud, called a fidelity bond. That's required from so-called sequencers who store and execute the off-chain transactions and submit a minimal amount of data about them called Merkle routes to the Ethereum blockchain. If a sequencer's data is proven to show fraud, then that bond would be slashed and distributed to the so-called verifiers, whose role is to watch out for fraud. It's a complex system, but Paradigm does a great job of explaining how it works for those inclined to learn more about what is likely to be the short-to-medium-term scaling solution for Ethereum. Next headline. For the math-minded, Vitalik's introduction to ZK-SNARKs. Another potential scaling solution for blockchains is ZK-SNARKs, which Vitalik Buterin, the creator of Ethereum, recently cited as the most promising long-term solution as the technology improves. This week, in a new blog post dedicated specifically to ZK-SNARKs, he explains how they make possible solutions to two problems that blockchains face, scalability and privacy. As he describes it, quote, A ZK-SNARK allows you to generate a proof that some computation has some particular output, in such a way that the proof can be verified extremely quickly, even if the underlying computation takes a very long time to run. Also, he adds, and this is the part that makes it a potential privacy solution, quote, The zk or zero knowledge part adds an additional feature. The proof can keep some of the inputs to the computation hidden. He says that this would make it possible to prove that you have the right to transfer some asset without revealing which asset you received. He says, "quote This security without unduly leaking information about who is transacting with whom to the public." Those are the main takeaways. But for those interested in the details about how this works. He does go into uh, more detail, but just a warning that it does require a fair bit of math. Time for fun bits. Crypto Twitter can't stop with GameStop. If, like me, you can't get enough of this game of chicken between Redditors and the 0.1%, here is a roundup of choice tweets from Crypto Twitter. Author and speaker Andreas Antonopoulos tweeted, Time to regulate outsider trading, LOL. Elizabeth Stark, CEO of Lightning Labs, tweeted, 2008, too big to fail? 2021, too small to win. Jake Shervinsky, General Counsel at Compound Labs, tweeted, Imagine the SEC denying a Bitcoin ETF proposal because of market manipulation concerns after all this. Tyler Winklevoss, CEO of Gemini, tweeted, If I was the CEO of GameStop, the next move would be to purchase Bitcoin and put it on the balance sheet. Many took the opportunity to promote DeFi with Ryan Adams tweeting, Robinhood just banned GameStop and AMC. The wrong people are winning, so they delisted the assets. Here's what they don't know. They just recruited another 1 million people into DeFi. Uniswap, not Robinhood. Protocols, not banks. This is why we go bankless. And finally, Suna Amaz of Volt Capital tweeted, Robinhood isn't fit to be called that anymore. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in. To learn more about SAM, FTX, and the GameStop saga this week, be sure to check out the links in the show notes. Don't forget, we are now on YouTube. Subscribe to the Unchained YouTube podcast channel today. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Anthony Yoon, Daniel Ness, Shashank, and the team at CLK Transcription. Thanks for listening.